0: Well, good morning church, good to be here, good to see you, good to be a part of this Has already been said, the family together, thank you Joyce for, was that me doing that? Okay, I was like, scratch scratch, oh dismiss kids. Michaela you're using the wrong mic you forget to dismiss the kids all right here they go here they go well that uh here we are back together after three weeks outside we were like the children of Israel you know kind of uh, doing church that way and I want to uh specifically just say one thing here uh Bible classes. Don't forget about those. We're all set up in the gym. We're working through the Psalms together, talking about the adults. Love to have you stay and be a part of that. It's not quite a traditional Bible class. It's a lot. It's, it's, it's uh, through the Psalms, we're discovering God, and we're there at the table with one another and sharing in that conversation. So I want to invite you to be a, be a part of that. So many good elements of the worship today. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's great to be together. It's great to have you all back with us this morning. Lewis, good to see you. Thank you, Joyce, for uh, your, your leadership on the, that song and for the whole entire praise team, Jeremy, for uh, putting that together this morning. Peggy, your, uh, your words as well. If you are like me, as we uh, jump into our series and continue here, gentle and lowly, I want you to think about this. You might from time to time ask the Lord a question, something like this. Lord, do you really know what is going on in my head? Do you really know what it's like in my heart? to feel what I feel, to experience what my world. And I'll say just for a moment here, again, I'm talking about all of us be asking this question, but I'm a deep feeler. Sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it's horrible. Much of it is intense and sometimes it's just unattractive to myself. Hey, heard that laugh out there. And at face value, the scripture, the word of God says something like this. The Lord says, Jeff, I know what you're feeling, what you're going through. I'm all knowing, all seeing. I made you. And remember Psalm 139? Remember the beauty of Psalm 139? You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue. You, Lord, know it completely. What a word from the psalmist. But then I ask God a follow-up question. I say, God, now your spirit, right? Right? Not having a body doesn't limit your ability, God, does it? To what humans might feel and go through? You see, if our emotions are a product of our mind and our body, and God, you have no body then how can you possibly feel what I feel? So when we say God is angry, for instance, it must mean that we are using what theologians have long called an anthropomorphism. That is taking the characteristics of human beings and attributing them to God. For instance, to speak of God stretching out his hands. As the scripture does, as if he literally had hands. On the other hand, as Ortland points out in his book, and he details an observation and a doctrine about this Jesus who came to earth as a man, fully God and fully man, and Ortland says it this way The Son of God clothed himself with humanity and will never unclothe himself or in his words, but his humanity once taken on will never end. Do you get what Ortland is trying to drive at in in the book that we've been reading together? That the Lord Jesus having experienced our humanity, and while he has gone back into heaven, his humanity, once taken on, will never end. It points to the importance of the ascension. Jesus Christ ascended into heaven in bodily form that is shared multiple times in the gospel accounts. It's a teaching that has often been neglected in our telling of the story that he died that he was buried, that he was raised again, and that he ascended into heaven. You see, Christ became a man, but even more, he will always be one. His humanity, once taken on, will never end. Now, this may take some reflection on our part to really begin to, and I'm not sure we can, actually, as as, as mortal human beings, actually get it. I'm not sure if we, from a scientific point of view, we can possibly understand. But in the Heidelberg Catechism, for instance, theologians giving this some reflection uh, years ago said it this way We have our own flesh in heaven. In other words, Jesus doesn't become non human again. Here's the point all of his thoughts, Experiences and emotions as a man remain with him in heaven. And this is why when we say that who we see and understand when we're looking at Jesus Christ is who we begin to understand that God is like. Jesus Christ focuses, filters, and furthers That is, takes us deeper in our understanding of who God is. And Jesus, as the God-man, understands us fully. Let's pray. Lord God, as we open this text in John 11, with this backdrop, I pray you will open our hearts to your word and to your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Now there's no text, I suppose, that I can think of in the Bible that better points to Jesus' humanity than the one we had just read a few moments ago. And there we see in Jesus, and thus thus in God, the capacity of God to feel what we feel. to experience our humanity and our emotions. And Lazarus has died and Lazarus is Jesus' friend. And Mary and Martha are grieving the loss of their brother. And Jesus is saddened. And so we know the text that came out so vividly in John eleven thirty five, 35, and Jesus wept a remarkable verse in its simplicity, and maybe we often tease a little bit about it, the shortest verse in the Bible. But more than that, it has to be ranked as one of the most touching, doesn't it? To humanize Jesus, to see his empathy for Mary and Martha and his deep feelings for his friend, Jesus wept is appropriate for so many occasions for every funeral. And even when the funeral or memorial is for someone who has lived a long life or has urged us to celebrate their death by focusing on their new life with God, still, Jesus wept, speaks perfectly to the situation and the nature and the character of our God. You see, but his humanity, once taken on, will never end. However, I want to point out something this morning, and that is on each side of John 11-35 in our text, also describing Jesus, there's another word. And the word in the NIV translated this way. Jesus was deeply moved. And as strong as it is, that's a strong word, isn't it? Deeply moved. That actually may be way too tame a way to translate it. What do I mean? In classical Greek, the word refers to horses snorting as they prepare to take on the enemy. In the Greek Old Testament, this word is translated not as deeply moved but as indignation or get this rage now there are several instances in the gospels where this deep intense anger of jesus is a fitting description but i'll tell you what the word rage gets my attention Here's an observation from J. Scott Duvall. When sadness and grief is the primary emotion in our life, in other words, Jesus wept, and we think of this as a text about sadness and grief, at least in that part, the primary emotion, our energy and our initiative is low. Would you agree with that? When you're feeling sad, your energy and your initiative is low. Typically, there is not the emotional energy to start issuing rapid-fire commands. But I want you to see the text. When we look at the flow of the passage, there is a string of commands that follow one after another because Jesus is not feeling only grief or sadness but rage in 1139 he says take away the stone in 1140 he says didn't i tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of god in 1143 he says lazarus come out in 1144 he says take off the grave clothes and let him go Here's the logic. While Jesus certainly wept, his primary emotion, deeply moved, was rage. Let's look at it in the New Living Translation so you can see the flow of the passage from that standpoint. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger. NIV says deeply moved. Deeply moved. New Living Translation says, a deep anger, I think it's a better translation, welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked, and they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept, 1135. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. 37 says, but some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? And verse 38 says, Jesus was still angry. As he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. You see, if deeply moved is correctly understood as anger or rage, then we might ask a question, at what or whom was he so angry? In our minds, as human beings, I think we all fall prey to this, we try to identify a person or an event. And we interpret Jesus' reaction within our very humanistic framework. In this way, Jesus' anger is with someone or a person, or something, a circumstance. But what if Jesus, in this passage, sees a much wider world? Isn't he aware of both what is seen and unseen, the Bible tells us? The powers of light and the powers of darkness And I believe he reacts to Lazarus' death with rage as he faces the evil of death itself. Jesus' anger is directed toward death and the cause of death. You see, the Bible describes the last enemy as death. The enemy who brazenly robs us of life and our precious loved ones Of life. And while generally overwhelmed with sadness, that is, Jesus wept, something else is going on. He's righteous with anger. He's fighting mad and furious at these evil powers for hurting the people he loves. Say, well, Lazarus' death was personal. I mean, he was close to this family. Yes and it was also cosmic. His death pointed to the very reason he came to planet Earth. Behind death is the evil one who holds the power of death. The one who is described in John's Gospel in the previous chapter as the one who steals, kills, and destroys Death holds us captive to fear, according to the book of Hebrews. You see, I don't think Jesus simply saw death as so many modern people do, as simply a natural part of life. He saw death as an enemy. And his rage is aimed at that constellation of ideas this conglomeration around death itself. Sin, sickness, suffering, and what these enemies are doing to the people he loves and we love. Try it this way. When injustice has the upper hand, I want to suggest that sometimes rage is the only just response. Now Jesus' miraculous works in John's gospel are called signs. I believe they're called signs because they point beyond themselves to something greater. And Lazarus' death is the last sign in John's gospel. As it foreshadows jesus upcoming death and it foreshadows this full fight between life and death a fight that will soon come to a climax in fact costing jesus his life on the cross so how amazing it is that we know the rest of the story, and I almost think this is a bit troubling for us at this point, that we cannot quite appreciate Jesus' rage for the simple reason that we know the rest of the story. We can't enter quite into the emotional intensity of seeing death's action destroy because we know there's a victory over death through the cross and the resurrection. We know that Lazarus was not the only one to rise, but Jesus too, that he emerged as the victor over sin and death, and he removes our sin and the sting of death. You see, death is the last enemy, but the resurrection of Jesus is proof that it too will go down. Well, here's something you've probably not heard before. Praise God for Jesus' rage. Because of it, death could not hold Lazarus, death could not hold Jesus, and death cannot hold. Now, as it's already been indicated this last week, our brother Daniel died in his sleep, 22 years old. And how does a mother, how do his siblings deal with it? You see, I would say, to to this day, death is not a natural part of life. It is the last enemy. And like Jesus, we weep. But even more, or as much, we feel. And yet we can be sure, we can be certain that Jesus fully knows because what has our teaching told us? His humanity, once taken on, will never end. He knows, he feels, he weeps, and with deep emotion, he promises, he pledges, he gives us proof that death will not have the last word. You see his resurrection from the dead is a first fruit that we too will be resurrected. Let's give Him praise, church. Amen.